Luke chapter 16, Luke chapter 16. And we will dismiss right now young people to head out for time in the Word of God in the upper room. So, young people, you can head to the upper room as everyone else turns to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. It was on May 22nd, 2011, that a tornado swept through the town of Joplin, Misery. That's how I always call it. Yeah, we laugh at the way I pronounced it, but 162 people died in one of the deadliest single tornadoes to hit the U.S. in 60 years. A study was done, commenced, because of the great number of deaths as a result of this tragic event, News reports then told the tragic story, and here's what they said. The vast majority of the Joplin residents did not respond to the first siren warning of the May 22nd twister. Uh, because of a widespread disregard for tornado sirens, federal officials concluded that they uh, that to be the case in a report issued. This was a warned event, Catherine Sullivan told reporters, noting that several days before, forecasters were warning of a strong possibility of twisters. Officials didn't blame residents, many of whom complained that sirens often go off in Joplin for tests or even just dark clouds form. And they suggested that a non-routine warning mechanism be developed to make it clear when a siren should be taken seriously. Keith Stammer, who was uh, part of this study or whatever, said the department issued two sets of sirens ahead of the tornado. Many people ignored the first one. Some people thought the second, second siren was an all-clear signal, which it wasn't, he said. Stammer said, and he's the one who actually issued it, I'm sorry, never he never issued an all-clear during his eight years working in the department. Honestly, it was a bit of a disappointment that there were so many people who didn't move to shelters after the first warning, Stammer said. The human side is the part that's most frustrating. A more recent story in the news shared the reality that when fighting was breaking out in the Ukraine, a number of people ignored sirens revealed the need for them to evacuate an area. One headline read these words, Ukraine re residents ignore siren warning as evacuation orders are issued. You know, we could tell you story after story of people who just didn't listen to the warning signals that were given to them. Now, in both cases, there might be reasons why the people failed to respond. It could be they heard warnings all the time. I mean, look, when the news says bad weather's coming, they tell you like six weeks in advance now, and then you have no idea because it may never, ever happen anyway. So I get it. I understand some of those things. But what's the tragedy is that when it was truly a, a disaster situation, people weren't prepared. They weren't ready because they ignored the signal. They ignored the warning. The passage of scripture in Luke chapter 16 is really a warning signal for all men. For all men in this room, it was specifically given to a group of people that needed to hear the warning that is talked about in this passage of scripture. It's a very familiar passage of scripture, but I hope that today you will listen to the warning siren, that you will listen to the signal, that you will hear the signal and the warning signal being given in this passage, and that you'll respond to it. It's not an easy passage to preach. I don't suspect it was easy for Jesus to speak about this subject, but it was something that he spoke of often. As he talks about in Luke chapter 16, a man who went to hell. The Bible says in verse 19, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. 
And in hell he lift up his eyes being in torments and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things? But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And by the way, someone did rise from the dead and they still weren't persuaded. Let's pray. Father, please, I pray that you would help us today to understand clearly the teaching of this passage and may it drive us all to be concerned about lost souls. And I ask, most importantly, if there be anyone here today that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Savior, that this would be the day of salvation for them, that they would understand clearly important truth found in this passage and I pray that you would do what I cannot clearly cannot do without your help and that is touch hearts with the truths that are found in the word of God and we will thank you for what you'll do and how you'll help us and I pray these things in Jesus name amen today we have before us a story that speaks of what's to come in the future for all human beings the Bible tells us in Hebrews 9, 27, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this judgment, the truth is laid out in Scripture that all men will face eternity. And Jesus Christ addressed the subject of eternity as he spoke here before the crowd of people that were gathered around him during his earthly ministry. Now, we're going to reference the surrounding text, but what is before us should truly be a siren warning this morning, that there is something to come, either eternal blessedness or eternal judgment. And God wants us to be awakened by that siren today, to think about it and to consider it, even though maybe we've heard about it so many times before. Every once in a while, it's important for us to listen to the warning sirens, to hear them. It was nine years ago we preached from this passage, and it, it behooves us to open it every once in a while and just be reminded what Jesus taught about the subject of eternity and what's to come. So we begin today, I, I think if we're going to understand it, I've actually heard so many different messages in Luke chapter 16 and messages on hell, some very powerful messages. And I don't even hope to try to, to try to do that kind of justice as I've heard many do in preaching, primarily on the subject of hell from these verses. Although it's an important thing, I want you to understand the whole passage, and I want you to get a grasp of what's going on here and why Jesus Christ even told this story starting in verse 19. So today we're going to look, and we're going to begin by looking at the context. What is going on, and why did Jesus preach about hell? Why did Jesus talk about that subject? Why did he take so much time to talk about a man, a rich man who went to hell, and about a poor man who ended up going to heaven and describing a number of those things? Was it because Jesus was simply teaching on the subject of hell and heaven and, and that there is an eternity and that people live after they die and that they need to be prepared for that? Well, that could be the case. But I think if you understand what's going on in the chapter before this, and if you, you understand what's taking place, it helps to clarify why Jesus ultimately spoke about this subject and why he preached so much about the matter and brought up so many things about the subject of hell. So let's begin by looking at the context and what's going on. 
You remember last week, I told you I was going to preach on Luke 16. Now you get it. And here's the reason why we didn't preach it last week. Because the truth is, this story really starts back in chapter 15. In chapter 15, the Bible tells us in verse 1, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners were to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And as we preached from Luke chapter 15 last week, Jesus Christ was answering his critics. There were people, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, who were complaining because these publicans and sinners that they would have nothing to do with had gathered around here Jesus, and they were, you know, like intermixing with these people that were the low life of society, people that, he didn't, that they didn't think were important and they wouldn't give the time of the day to. In fact, people that they thought were, in essence, being judged by God because they were poor and because they didn't have very much, and that certainly was a sign that there was something that was wrong with these people. The, the publicans just weren't like because they were tax collectors, but we won't get off on that subject this morning. So that's why we preached the passage last week. It really kind of laid the groundwork for what Jesus talked about here. After he told three stories in chapter 15 and really totally humiliated, if you would, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were complaining and as well lifted up those who were poor and, and those who were sinners and publicans, giving them hope that God cares for them. That's, that, those were the stories that came before in chapter 15. Then in chapter 16, it says in verse 1, And he said also unto his disciples. So then Jesus, right after this, breaks into another story. And he tells a story that we don't have time to really delve into because I can't even deal with the rest of chapter uh, 16 properly without enough time. So I'm not going to share the whole story, but Jesus began to preach. And he began to tell this, this story about someone who had been a failure with finances. He was a steward. A, a, a rich man had a steward, and the steward had, had failed the rich man, and the story is told. Now, the conclusion of the story is found in verse 13, <coughs> where Jesus said, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. And here was the conclusion, you cannot serve God and mammon. So he talked about the fact, and he shares the story, and it obviously was in response somewhat to the Pharisees and the scribes. And he says, you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve money and serve God at the same time. Which is interesting, because the Pharisees and the scribes believed that you needed to live for money. They did. They sought wealth. They sought affluence because they believed that someone who was rich and, and affluent, if you would, someone who had plenty, uh, that they were blessed by God. And so this view of life was something they lived for. And we know that's the case because you look at the next verse, what does it say? If you look in this chapter, it says, then the Pharisees, and the Pharisees also, who were covetous, heard all these things. Now, Jesus isn't talking to them. Jesus is talking. Jesus puts his attention on, you say, well, it was just his disciples. Well, most uh, seem to, to point out or seem to agree that it was probably the, the publicans and sinners and as well his disciples, all the rest of the people, Jesus started to address them as the Pharisees and scribes were still standing, I guess, in their separate group because they didn't want to have anything to do with these people. And so Jesus is talking to them, his messages to them, he shares something with them, but the Pharisees didn't like it. Well, that's because it presented them and actually brought out a truth about those people. They were covetous. And ultimately, what Jesus was bringing out about the Pharisees is that they were sinners just like the sinners were sinners. That they were sinners just like the publicans were sinners. And so it's no wonder because these people were covetous. And does anyone know that there's something in the law about covetousness? There's something in God's word that says there's, it's a sin to be covetous? I know, you've never heard that one before. You've never heard the Ten Commandments before. But in what, one of the commandments does tell us that such is a sin. And so when the Pharisees heard this, who were covetous, they, when they heard these things, look at what it says at verse 14. They derided him. 
Do you know what that means? They started to sneer at Jesus. Do you know this word is only found two other, one other time in the Bible? Two times in the Bible you'll find this word, and the other time it's mentioned is in Luke chapter 23. Do you know what it is? It's when Jesus is hanging on the cross. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. That's what the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders, were crying at Jesus. They were sneering at him. They were making fun of him as he was hanging on the cross. So it clearly tells us what was going on here. This wasn't just these guys saying, oh, man, I don't like what he has to say. They were making fun of Jesus because he preached a message saying, covetousness is sin. Ooh. Not always popular to teach the truth, you know. And that is the, if you would, the groundwork upon which Jesus then deals with and preaches this message in Luke chapter 16 and verse 19 about the rich man and Lazarus. You say, well, why did he do it? Because Jesus wanted to help these people see, these Pharisees, these one who were sneering at him, making fun of him, and, and if you would, arguing with him that that couldn't possibly be the case. Jesus needed to help them understand that they needed him. And unless they see their need, they're going to spend an eternity in hell. And my friends, people today still see, need to see the same thing. People in our affluent area of Franklin, Tennessee, need to hear the message whether they want to hear it or not. But they are sinners, and they can't get to heaven on their own. And they need Jesus Christ. But here in this passage, this is the foundation upon which Jesus taught this lesson. And if we took time and we don't have, I, again, I wish we could delve into it. I don't know, maybe we'll come back and we'll preach the, the section we missed uh, sometime in the, in the future. But if you look in verses 15, 16, 17, and 18, and I don't want to encourage you to take a lot of time this morning, but what Jesus ultimately said in that section is that, look, you justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. And you may think that you're fine and everything is wonderful. And before men, everyone may look at you Pharisees and scribes and say, oh, you people are very good men. You're wonderful people. You're going to be in heaven someday. God said, you're sinners just like the publicans and sinners. And you criticize me for preaching to them. You criticize me for standing up and telling them the truth so that they might come to faith in Jesus Christ, become part of the family of God. But the truth is, you need this message just as much as they do. The Bible is true. And whether you want to accept it as truth or not, whether you want to accept that covetousness is a sin, that's up to you. I can't do anything to change your hearts. If you're going to stand before men and have people praise you and think you're wonderful and you're going to think yourself to be wonderful, then so be it. But know this, when you die, you will end up in hell. That was the message. Because God's word it's true. It hasn't changed. It won't change. What God says is true. So God's law, the Ten Commandments, if you violated them, you will pay for that in eternal lake of fire unless you repent. That, my friends, is why Jesus brought this up in the first place, to help these men understand that, look, other people may pat you on the back and say, what a wonderful religious man you are. What a wonderful person you are. How good you are. And look at what you do. How you give so much money to different people and their, to their needs. You are a wonderful person. All men may say that, but you're deceiving yourself. God doesn't think that about you. God sees you for what you really are, covetous, who need salvation. In fact, he brings out a point in that. In verse 18, he brings out another one of the laws of God, which, by the way, the Pharisees, many of them had violated. And he talks about the matter of divorce. And, and, and um, I'm sorry, whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery. Because he wanted them to understand there is a law of God, and that law doesn't change. And whether or not you can justify yourself before men, what is important that you, is that you be just before God, and you're not. And so that is why, and maybe you've never understood it before, but that is why verse 19 is in the Bible. That is why Jesus Christ took the time to talk about a rich man and Lazarus. 
You know, these men, they got their dander up because Jesus hit them really where they were at and helped them to understand that they were just as great a sinner as the sinners and publicans that they were looking down upon that day in this, art, in this situation that was before them. And Jesus explains that the serious problem of these religious leaders is they justified themselves before men, but God knew them to be what they truly are, sinners who need a Savior. So that is the passage, and that is what's going on when Jesus then breaks into this story. There was a certain rich man. Now, what's interesting about this passage in the scripture, and just kind of giving you a comment, if you would. We already talked about the context, the context, the, a comment about this is that a lot of people look at this story and they say, well, this is just a parable. It's like all the other parables that are found in the Bible. But there is a strong argument for the fact that this wasn't a parable, that these people would have actually been known by, by the people of the day, that some would have known Lazarus, that some would have known this rich man. Uh, you say, well, how is that the case? Well, because if you look through the Gospels, every one of the Gospels, and read every parable, you'll never see a name for anyone given. It is the only parable in which, it is the only story, if it is a parable, in which Jesus actually mentioned the name of a person. It seems more likely that this was a true story, that this is something, this would have been a man that people would have known Lazarus, who laid at the gate. They would have known as well the rich man. And what would have been, if you would, kind of startling to the Pharisees is that if they truly knew this rich man and if they knew Lazarus, they would have concluded that the rich man was in heaven and Lazarus was in hell. And that's why this story would have been so, if you would, startling to these people. It would have said, what you think is totally wrong. And I want you to understand that clearly. And so as he begins into this story, he talks about the rich men, and he, he talks about this man named Lazarus. And again, not I don't believe a parable at all. It seems to be an actual story that the people would have known and that they would have already had a conclusion about where they were going. They would have all looked at the rich man and said, man, he's fine. At his funeral, they would have all been saying, what a wonderful man. He must be enjoying the pleasures of heaven today because he had the favor of God throughout his life. He was a good man. They might have even said, they might have had a wonderful preacher get up and, and give this great oration about how, how wonderful this man was and how he certainly must have been in heaven because he was rich. But Jesus Christ just awoke them to the reality by saying he died and he went to hell. So then we get into the characters in our story. In verses 19 to 23, we have a certain rich man and we have a certain beggar, uh, certain people, specific people. Lazarus was the, the beggar and thankfully didn't give us the name of the rich man, aren't you? Um, and maybe that was because he didn't want those Pharisees to be able to walk away without being convicted by the truth he was trying to share. That they wouldn't say, well, that was him, that's not me. You see, in saying, well, there was a certain rich man rather than mentioning the name, even if they all knew the name and even if they all knew the person, they wouldn't be able to get away from the fact that they too are covetous and that they too are sinners and that they need to be saved because they're headed for hell even though everyone praises them and pats them on the back and says, you're a good person. Your eternity is all determined. So there's two people drastically different in every way in our story. We have a rich man, we have a poor man. One who had everything his heart could desire and the other who had nothing. I mean, so much so that it, it seems like he would come in after a meal was done. And by the way, that may even have shown the, the rich man's mercy, allowed this, this poor vagrant sinner to come in and actually eat the crumbs that fell from the table. Maybe he even dropped some under the table. You know, it seems interesting to me that the rich man, when he is in hell, is asking for Lazarus to come. And the only thing I can assume is that they actually treated Lazarus well, at least as far as rich people would have been concerned. No one would have had any concern for Lazarus overall. But it seems to be, because why would he ask for Lazarus to come? other than the fact that he had at least done some sort of good and he hoped that maybe Lazarus then would show mercy to him because he had shown mercy to Lazarus in some way. Now, we don't know that. We're not told exactly what happened, but it does seem, I mean, why would he call on Lazarus? 
And why would he view him and why would he ask him to come and, and dip the tip of his finger in water? Seems interesting. But anyway, here we have this story and we have these two people who had totally different backgrounds. And the Pharisees, again, would have said, rich man, heaven, poor man, sick man, bed, who's being judged by God, hell. And Jesus said, nope. The rich man was an unrepentant sinner. That is the context that is being taught, this is being taught in. The rich man violated the law of God. He was covetous, and he never did anything about the sin in his life. And as a result, when he died, he went to hell. The poor man? The poor man was a repentant sinner. Yeah, these sinners, these ones you've been making fun of, Look, don't, don't miss the story. This is still a continuation. These men you have been making fun of, these men you've been criticizing for me to preach to, these people understand the truth and they're coming to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and they're being saved. This poor man was just like that. He was one that had responded to the preaching. I almost wonder if maybe, I don't know. I mean, these are things that we could all surmise. We have no idea because Jesus didn't tell us. But I almost wonder if, this was one of the people that invited Jesus, one of the rich men invited Jesus into their home. And Jesus at some time had sat at this guy's table and had told this man about his need, that he was a sinner, he needed to repent, he needed to be saved. And that maybe Lazarus, as he was at the gate because the windows were open, might have heard the message. I don't know, I, but I, I kind of just want to picture that in my mind. And, and came to faith in Jesus Christ, realized that Christ was the Messiah and accepted him while the rich man just kind of, yeah, thank you, Jesus. And Jesus left that day and one man was headed for heaven, the other for hell. I don't know. I mean, that would all be surmising. We have, we have no idea, but Jesus is telling at least a true story in the sense that there was a time somewhere where the rich man must have heard the gospel message and the need to repent, which was the message in that day, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and he rejected it, and the poor man accepted the message. And we can prove that from the passage we may do that a little bit later. So these are the two people that stand before us. Now let me share one fact, and this is profound. I know it just overwhelm you because I overwhelm people all the time with profound things. Here it is. They both died. I know that just shocks you, but they both died. It's actually a profound truth. And you might even laugh for stating the obvious. But you know, a lot of people live like there's no death. Like we got plenty of time. Like, you know, I, I don't have to worry about eternity because I got plenty of time now. And, and, and quite frankly, um, all people can be guilty of that. Just get to the place. I, here's the truth, and and see, you start to see it as you as you get as you start to get a little bit older. Gotta put it that way. As you start to get a little bit older, and and people you know who are your age are dying. You start to realize I don't have a lot of time. I don't have a lot of time. But here's the truth. Although I knew it. When I was in my 20s, I didn't think that. I, I knew it. Mentally, I knew. I don't know how long I have. But somehow, in my mind, when I was in my 20s and 30s, the reality that I could die today really was something that I didn't think of often. And yet, I need to. Because the rich man and Lazarus died. So how old were they? No idea whatsoever. Uh, it says in the passage uh, that, uh, you know, it's just a rich man and Lazarus. God says, boast not thyself of tomorrow in Proverbs 27, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And my friends, it's important for us to realize, maybe the rich man sat there and said, you know, I got a lot of time. I'm in good health. Everything's fine. Everything's wonderful. And then he had a heart attack and died. We don't know. 
preacher said this, oh, the unbelievable horror of putting off Christ. Colonel, into the terror of those who delayed boarding the ark in the days of Noah, or those who failed to escape Sodom and Gomorrah when they had the opportunity. Preacher went on, he said, think of the scoffing thief who died Christless within feet of Jesus Christ himself who at that very moment was dying for his sin. Think of the multitudes at the great white throne judgment who will frantically insist, my name must surely be written somewhere in that book. Look again. But they waited too long. The Bible warns that every human being is subject to sudden death. No one has the promise of another day or hour. We'll never know. We never know when we'll be swept into eternity. It could be a car wreck, a heart attack, an act of violence, a natural disaster, a freak accident. Thousands of people will die today, many never seeing it coming. They wake up in this morning, they shower, they dress, they grab a cup of coffee, they dash out the door, never dreaming. That's the last time they'll leave their doorstep. And it's true. And Jesus confronts us in this story by reminding us, the rich, doesn't matter who they are, all men die. And all men will give account then to God. It behooves us to be ready. This past week, the five words of stood out to me. Read the same with me, would you? And it came to pass. No one knows when they'll die. The little phrase speaks of a period of time. They didn't die at the same time. They didn't have the same amount of time on this earth. That little phrase is a stark reminder that time moves on for every man and every man will someday go to eternity. It's interesting to read the very simple statement and it came to pass and go on without thought, but that's foolish because those words will be said about you someday. And it came to pass. And it came to pass. Are you ready? This story was important for the Pharisees to hear that day because they weren't ready. The rich man died and in hell. You know, a lot of times we think when someone's nearing death, we got to share the gospel with them. Maybe people you know like that. I, um, I, I, remember one missionary speaking of his older father. He asked for prayer for him to be saved, and he was actively involved in sharing the gospel. You know why? His dad was old. His dad's health was failing, and he was concerned about his dad. Um, uh, we had a friend in Florida a number of years ago who went to great trouble to travel to visit his dad. His dad was unsaved. Why did he make this special trip? Because his dad had had some health problems, and it made him realize, hey, look, this time may be short. But here's the thing. We don't always have that kind of warning. We, we don't know. We, we don't know if the neighbor we've, we want to witness to will be there tomorrow. We really don't know. And it came to pass. So we are told about and given one fact that all men die. And there are two destinies according to our passage. It says that uh, the, uh, the rich man, I'm sorry, the leader died. In verse 22, he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried and in hell. There are two destinies. Let me share a few things. A lot of it could be said about verses 22 and 23. But here's the truth, truths that we need to remember. They both ended up in the place they secured while they were living. There is no changing one's destiny after death. There's no purgatory. There's no place of penance. There's no hope of reprieve. In fact, the rich man didn't even ask to be removed and placed in heaven. It was clear to him he was where he deserved to be. He was just asking for relief. Never once did he say, Abraham, I don't deserve this. I'm a Jew. 
Abraham said, son. And I've had the blessing of God in my life. He didn't say that. He just said, give me some relief. This man knew that he deserved to be there. When one dies, they go immediate to the place that they have chosen in this life. Abraham's words, look in verse 26, uh, tells us that there is no changing things after death. And besides this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. There is no going between the two. You're in one or the other the moment you die. And you need to understand that two destinies that are by what you do while you're living, so take care of it now. No wonder God said now is the accepted time, now is the day of salvation in Scripture. Second truth that we could say about these two destinies, the place where one finds the answers to avoiding heaven and hell are revealed in this passage. Abraham told the rich man this fact. Where do you find the answer? Well, if you look in verse 29, Abraham said unto him, because the man said, send Lazarus back from the dead to tell my brothers. Send him to tell the message. Let him testify uh, unto them, lest they come into this place of torment. And Abraham said, here's the answer. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. All right, so where is the answer about eternal destiny? It is not in some religious person who tells you they, that they have the answer and that they had some dream that told them where, there's, where everyone will go, okay? The answer is found in the law of God. It's found in the Bible. You find the answer to where someone's going to spend their eternity in the Bible. And it's interesting is that according to Jesus Christ, you can prove it from the Old Testament and the New Testament. That people can know where they're going to spend eternity. Because these people, in, that day, in the day of Jesus Christ, and they didn't have any of the New Testament, they had enough to know where they would spend eternity. Because the Bible has the answer for that. So they both ended up in the place they secured while living. The place where one finds the answers to avoid hell and enter heaven is revealed and it's found in the word of God. Jesus said this, search the scriptures for in them ye think ye have eternal life and they are they which testify of me. You know what the Old Testament testifies? There's a coming Messiah that will save you if you believe on him. And people in the Old Testament were saved by faith. Just as people in the New Testament are saved by faith in the Messiah, in the one who came. And that's what the Bible teaches. And the Bible gives us all the answers to that. Notice something else. A rich man knew how someone gets saved. I never saw this before. You know, I've preached many times. So the rich man didn't go to hell because he was rich. The poor man didn't go to heaven because he was, he was poor. Now, even though Abraham makes reference to that, he says, well, you had it easy in your life and you're in hell today and you had it rough in he had it rough in life and that's why he's in heaven today. That wasn't, Abraham wasn't saying that's the reason why and the rich man actually knew it. And there's a reason why he didn't say, why am I not in heaven today? The reason why is because he knew and he had heard the message of the gospel, what he needed to do. He say, prove that. Thank you. I'm glad you asked. Because quite honestly, seriously, I had never heard anyone say this, and I never saw it before. But if you look in verse 30, he says, and he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto him from the dead, they will. i never seen that before. He knew exactly what he didn't do. He knew exactly that he had never come to the place where he had a change of mind. He thought, I'm fine, I'm not a sinner. That's exactly what the Pharisees were saying. That's why Jesus told this story. He wanted them to be confronted with the fact that the only way they'll ever be in heaven is if they repent. And you can't repent unless you're lost. You can't have a change of mind about your condition unless you first understand, I'm not going to heaven. I'm not, I'm not one. I don't care how many people pat you on the back and say, you're a fine person, you're wonderful, you have to be in heaven someday. I don't care how many, I don't care if the preacher gets up at your funeral and says, I am sure this person is, is in heaven someday. The only way someone gets to heaven is by repenting. 
Or they come to a place where they realize, I'm a sinner, I deserve God's judgment, there is a Savior, the Messiah, and I'm going to believe on what Jesus Christ did for me. A change of mind. And he never had that. And what is amazing is that the rich man knew how to be saved. And he wasn't. Because he never did it. Isn't that amazing? So here's a guy. Abraham, I know. Just send him to my family. And if, they, if he will just go and he'll tell them the truth, then they will repent because that's what they need. I don't want him here with me. Amazing thing. Then we learn that the change of circumstances as well, another thought under this, takes place immediately. And if you look, this is another thing that was brought out to me this past day. See, I love it when I learn new things about a passage or when I see things that I hadn't seen before. And I've heard this preached so many times and I preached on it myself, but it was a wonderful thing to think about. It said, look, it says the rich man died and was buried. You know, they had a great burial service. Do you know what? Here's the truth. None of that mattered to him. You know, everyone said, this is a wonderful service. He looks so good. You know, oh, don't you hate that? I, I, yeah, come on. Oh, he looks so good. No, he doesn't. She doesn't. They're dead. Oh, you look so good. All right. Uh, they were such a fine person. Look, it does, you know that whole burial service, everything that went on, he was buried. Everyone would have been impressed with that, but not God. And the truth is, to the rich man, it didn't mean one iota because he was already in hell in torment. When you read about the Lazarus, it doesn't say he died and he was in heaven. What does it say? Look, the very second his life ended, the very second it ended, God's angels met him. It's beautiful. They took him and they carried him to heaven. Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that Interesting. Rich man died. He was buried. Had a great service, but he's in hell. But the the poor man, when he died, they took through his body. You probably just threw his body into a pauper's grave. No service. Nothing special. But I'll tell you something. Something special happened the moment his life ended. Because this guy who was ignored and this guy whose body was taken and no one had any concern. Just, oh, look, he's dead today. He's dead. Throw that body away. But that very moment that that death took place, the angels took Lazarus and brought him to glory. I mean, it, it wasn't just, it wasn't just, it's just not just that heaven that's wonderful. It's how you get there. Isn't that, isn't that a beautiful picture that God gives us about how God cares for his own? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. And, and he couldn't see that until he died. In that very moment, he, he knew that God was with him and took him to that place um, that um, Abraham is called Abraham's bosom. Uh, on that day. Uh, now, the, the conditions. See, this is what we you say, man, you're going to be going till 2 o'clock because I heard everyone preach messages on hell, and man, they got a lot to say about it. Um, well, I'm just going to let all those words kind of come back, flooding back to you. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it. We'll say this, Lazarus was comforted. And isn't it interesting? Jesus didn't spend any time on that. Here's the reason why. Because the Jews would have known all about it, and they thought they were going there anyway. We're fine. We're good. We're going there. They knew all about heaven. They didn't need to know about heaven. You know what they needed to know? They needed to know that if they don't repent, they're going to hell. And, and here's the truth. Everyone needs to know that today. Well, you're a hellfire and damnation preacher. Yes. Yes, because, because Jesus was. In this story, reveals that. Well, it's a joke. It's an avoided topic in our day by some, 
But Jesus wasn't afraid to speak of it, and he warned people to avoid this place at all. Why? Because, as you have aptly heard, I know, it is a place of torment. The word means acute pain. So much so, I don't know about you. Hey, look, th- think about this. You're out summer, you're working in the, the heat of Tennessee, and I know it never gets hot, never gets miserable in Tennessee, but you're out working in the garden, you're working for hours out there, and it's it's like uh, 90 degrees and humidity is 150%, you know, like it is in summers in Tennessee. No, no one that went to the Bear Rice Ranch ever experienced that, you know, but, but uh, you know, so it's just like, you're just sweating bullets. When you come in, seriously, what do you want? Oh, man, I want, to, I want to take a shower, right? Okay, I want to take a shower. But actually, after you've been out like 30 seconds in Tennessee in the summer, I want to take a shower. Uh, but you want to get something nice and, and cool in the warm spot. Did you ask for it? Yeah, okay. Water, gator, I don't care what. But you want something, and you want a lot of it. You don't want just a, a little sip. Come on, seriously. Just just give me a little sip of water. That's it. I mean, three hours, you know, you, come, you, you look like you've been out in, in a th- for three hours. You don't come in and say, just give me a little sip. You know, my, my wife, it's like, you know, g- give me the biggest cup you got. And make sure it has plenty of ice. And I want something to cool my tongue. I'm parched from working in this heat. Right? Seriously. So you got to imagine that the pain had to be just unbelievable for a man to say, if you would just, just take the tip of your finger, dip it in water, and just touch my tongue. If you would just do that, it would mean so much to me. Who would ask for that? other than someone who is in such intense pain that anything, even the minutest thing, would would do something to ease for just, I, I don't even know what one, the tip of, come on, seriously. What would the tip of water, of someone's finger in water? Dear, would you please, I've been out working in, in well, not the garden, I've been out working in the yard all morning, dear. Please, just take your finger and get it wet and then just touch my tongue, would you? Say, you're a nut. Seriously, you, you consider this request. The pain had to be so immense in hell for the guy just to be willing to take just that because he was tormented in the flame. We're told it's a flame. There is a fire. Some preachers may deny the fire of hell. Jesus didn't. The end of the final judgment of the lost, we're told they're cast into the lake of fire. It's a place of fire. It's a place of torment. You can't be honest with Bible truth and deny the literal place of fire and brimstone. We preach fire and brimstone because people who don't repent, people who don't get saved, face eternity, fire and brimstone. And he didn't have any hope of it changing. He just wanted a minute speck of relief for just not even a moment, hardly. There's something else that stood out as I read through this passage. And again, you've heard so many different messages on it. But there's, as I read through the story, you know, the, the rich man... There's no mercy. We heard in Sunday school about the mercy of God today. And the mercy of God is evident in the lives of people on a daily basis. It is. But you know, there's a day when that mercy will end. The rich man received no mercy. Nothing he asked for did he get. Nothing. It was too late. It was over. He was in hell. It was over. No more mercy. One drop of water? Nope. Send someone to my family? Nope. 
There's no mercy in hell. God's mercy is extended while you're alive. So take the offer now. There are many other points we can make about it. They'll have memory to plague them, opportunities lost, the loved ones they might have impacted leading them. Maybe they led them to the same place. They'll have deep longings that will never be satisfied. So many different things. Sight. People, will they be able to see people in heaven? Don't know. At least here they could. Wouldn't it be torture to see people living in comfort and pleasure and you are agonizing in pain? There's things we don't know, but what we do know is he's in hell and it's a place of hopelessness. And my friends, if you have never repented, that's where you're headed. And your neighbors, if they haven't repented, they're headed there. And the people who go to church in your neighborhood and you see them go every Sunday morning, if they don't repent, they're headed there. This is no joke. Jesus wanted the Pharisees of his day who thought they were fine to realize they're not fine. They're sinners. They need to be saved. And he still longs for that message to go forth. Because he was the one who told his followers, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Because that's where the answer is. The Bible has the answers for eternal life. And it's only by faith in Jesus Christ. There's nothing more important than you're having a part in sending people to share the gospel to a lost world. Next week is vitally important. In, the, in, in this church's service to God. But this day is vital. Because it's not just people like the Sanderlins that we need to help get to the foreign field. It's people all around us that are either headed to heaven or hell right now. And sometimes all we see is the person who cut us off. The, the neighbor who gives us a hard time. The old lady who walks every day. The couple who walk around the neighborhood, and that's all we know people as, and we'd never see them as Jesus saw them, someone going to heaven or hell that need to repent. And if that means spending time with publicans and sinners, Jesus said, that's fine with me, because if they'll listen, I'd be glad to tell them how they can be saved and avoid that place called hell. And we need to be concerned about that, just like Jesus was. Enough to confront people that think they're fine, that don't want to hear the message. Look, there was no one, no one that Jesus was talking to in that group. He was talking to the Pharisees, none of them that wanted to hear that. There's no one that there's no one in Franklin that wants to hear that they're a sinner. There are there are a lot of people that go to churches all around our area that talk fine with you and yeah, we're going to heaven. You ask them the question, how do you know you're going to heaven? They don't have the right answer. They don't have the right, they don't have a clue. A good person to go to church. I try to do my best. You talk, I, I'd have been amazed at how many people, I've been amazed at how many people in Baptist churches don't even know that answer. How do you know you're in heaven? There's only one way. And you have it. If you're part of the family of God, you're saved. One way found in the Bible. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And unless you tell them, That doesn't move us. Nothing will. Do you hear me? If, if that doesn't touch us, nothing will. Will you care? Will you care?
Jesus did. Enough to tell people who didn't want to hear it, you need to repent or hell is where you're headed. And I don't want you to go there. Let's bow our heads and close your eyes. Two very important things. First is, do you know you're going to heaven? Not because you're a good person, because we're sinners. That was the point Jesus was making. We're sinners. We can't get to heaven on our own, and the only hope is to repent, have a change of mind, realize I'm a sinner, Christ died for my sins, and trust in him. Have you ever done that? Do you know you're saved? If you know you're saved, you say, you know, preacher, I know I have trusted Christ as my Savior. I know there was a time in my life where I realized I was a sinner. Christ died for my sins, and I put my faith and trust in him. If you can say, I know that, would you just raise your hand as testament to that fact? Wonderful. Praise the Lord. Good. Good. Amen. Thank you. You can put your hands up. If you don't know that, would you like to? Is there anyone who say, I don't know, but I'm concerned about that? Would you pray for me? Anyone else? I just don't know. I'm not sure. I've gone to church all my life. I'm part of this church. Going to church doesn't save me. Second question, Christian, do you care? Enough to tell people. Because hell is real. So, you know, preacher, as I thought about that, as I saw what Jesus did on that day, with the Pharisees to help them see their desperate need, confront them about their sin. God spoke to me about being concerned about the lost. Would you pray for me? How many would say that by this day? Thank you. Praise the Lord. I'm glad God worked in your heart. And let's do something about it this week. Just think about people who need to be one, our neighbor who we've been concerned about, but maybe we put it off and we haven't thought. It came to pass. Everyone dies. You don't know when. You need to do something about it. Let's get busy about this task. Let's ask God what he wants us to do and be committed to doing everything we can to get the gospel to a lost world because Jesus is the only hope. Father, I thank you for working in hearts. Help us to do business with you and leave this place determined to do what we can to do our part to fulfill the great commission that you gave and that you evidenced on that day when you told people who didn't want to hear the message they needed to hear that they're going to hell unless they trust Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would care about people enough to do the very same thing. With heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just stand to your feet? If you're able right now, just stand to your feet. If God's worked in your heart and life, we're going to have a hymn of invitation. She's going to play a number in just a moment. And when she begins to play, I want to urge you, if you're a Christian here and you just need to do business with God, come and get down on your knees and talk to the Lord about it. If he challenged you about something or right where you're at, sit down, kneel down, and talk to the Lord about it. Say, Lord, you've burdened my heart about this. You've worked in my heart about this. And I know I need to do something, and I'm, I'm, lead, I'm here's what you, I'm going to do for your glory. Why don't you do business with me? If you're here and you don't know him, the offer is for you to come. Coming won't save you, but he give us a chance to take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure you're headed to heaven. As she begins to play right now, hymn of invitation, why don't you respond? Continue to play.
Thank you, Father, for uh, this portion of Scripture. Certainly a difficult one to preach on, I'm sure. It must have been very hard for the Lord Jesus Christ to do that, but a needed message for a people who needed to hear. And may we have a love for you and a love for people enough to do what we can to keep them from the fires of hell that are very real. And I'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you as you serve him and live for him. You're dismissed. Thank you.